Daisy. And I'm Terry. And this is the Monday Mindset Podcast, where we share things of interest to us and hopefully to you. So let's get started with episode number 85. So it's Daisy's turn to share something with us today as we start off this new year. Daisy, what do you have for us? Well, Terry, yes, it's a new year. Happy new year. It's not actually a new year while we're recording, but (laughs) we're not very good at the timeline usually, are we? But we both knew that this was going to be coming out in the new year. So a very happy new year to you. We're wearing our actress hats today (laughs) and pretending it's already after January 1st. (laughs) You might remember before our pause and reflect episode back to the last episode I did, I mentioned that there were a couple of things that I wanted to include that I knew I wouldn't be able to include because we didn't have enough time. So this is kind of an overspill episode from the episode I did taking an episode from the Huberman Lab podcast with Andrew Huberman, of course, number 46, time perception and entrainment. And this was all about, if you remember, how we perceive time and the difference between not exactly dopamine versus serotonin, but how they get involved and how that influences how we perceive time. So with dopamine, it's the fine slicing of time when we see things in more detail, more slow motion. And serotonin is more when we more batch time and it's less detailed. And we talked a little bit about when it was the best time to focus on different tasks And because we tend to produce more dopamine in the mornings and more serotonin in the afternoons, the mornings are a good time to do those sort of black and white thinking type tasks, very focused work. And the afternoons when serotonin is more dominant, the more creative tasks, merging of skills type tasks, things like brainstorming. And he talked, if you remember, about entrainment, which is another way of saying how we match our internal and external rhythms. And he went from circanial to circadian to ultradian rhythms. And that's where I ended up talking about these focused 90 minute work sessions. This is taking advantage of these natural ultradian rhythms, which is these 90 minute cycles that our lives tend to get split up into. And I have been combining this with looking back to that episode I did about standing up regularly and splitting those 90 minutes into two lots of 45 minutes with a standing up break in between. And in general, actually, I've been trying to stand up more and more regularly. But he spoke about as a part of this episode towards the end. And my ears always prick up when he talks about cold exposure. And you've mentioned before, I think from another one of his episodes and one of the episodes that you did, and you were talking about um, dopamine and pain, I think, and you mentioned the effects of that in relation to cold water exposure. 
So he talks again about cold water exposure is, you know, one of his things, one of his biohacking things that he really gets behind. So he just ran briefly through some of the benefits. It helps to increase brown fat stores, gives us better metabolic health, and it increases dopamine. And the effects from this can be quite long lasting. Now, in relation to this episode, he talked about it the cold water exposure, how it changes our perception of time. And in this case, the frame rate we see things goes up because it goes up with pain and with dopamine increase. So again, it's circling back to the same sort of thing, but just from a slightly different angle. And he says people in relation to cold water exposure tend to deal with that pain in different ways. He says you either lean into it or you try to distract yourself from it. And this is where I've found it really interesting. It's because of this increase in dopamine, you are fine slicing time. So you're seeing things, experiencing things in detail, almost in slow motion. And again, he talks about this has quite a nice longer lasting effect so it's not just what's happening in the moment the benefits you get in the moment but that you know these effects can stay with you for the rest of the day and the timing of it can be really good if you want to harness that increase in dopamine and this is why I went on to starting to do some of this focused work in the mornings, but bringing it forward a bit. If you remember, I would come back after my walk with the dogs and have breakfast, but I've pushed that, not every day, depends what I want to be doing, but push that back and slotting that focused work in immediately after a dog walk. So not long after I've been in the sea and had that slight dopamine increase from the cold water exposure. And I've Notice for a long time that I felt generally a lot more present in the mornings. And I think, you know, this is partly down to the timing of these things. So I just, you know, it's something to think about if you've been playing around with uh, cold water exposure. Maybe, you know, you're into cold showers. Well, mornings are quite often the natural time that you would do that. But as you know, when I started swimming, I was doing it all sorts of different times of the day. But I've noticed a huge difference in moving it to that very early morning slot, almost straight away, actually. I just felt general benefits from that. And he he did just mention one thing about this. Do you lean into the quote unquote pain of the cold water exposure or do you want to distract yourself from it? And I'm actually one of these people who leans into it. I, I don't quite know what that says about me. But he says, if you're somebody who wants to distract yourself from it, he says it can help to pay attention to an external cue of some kind. And the example he uses is singing or music. He says you can kind of divorce yourself a little bit from the sensations and that perception of time. And that's partly why it kind of feels so intense because of this fine slicing of time, this slow motion. You really get to experience in detail just how 
bloody freezing cold the water is on your body and like I say some people lean into it some people try and distract and funnily enough I've heard this is what some people do when they go into the water I hear them singing at the top of their voice and so that's obviously what they're trying to do is just to distract themselves from that pain and I'm sure probably out there there are probably some studies when it comes to uh maybe when it comes to things like S&M I mean we can <laughs> this whole pleasure pain thing you mentioned I think we touched on that before I'm sure there are some studies out there but cold water exposure is a bit of a safer topic <laughs> but <laughs> the point is I guess the the potential benefits you can get from like I say sort of quote unquote pain but this knock-on increased dopamine and more of a pleasurable benefit from it. And this takes me to an article I read, an interesting article from um, Anna Lemke's book entitled Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. And this is from a newsletter I get from the nextbigideaclub.com website and it was like five key insights or something to her book and it was really just the first insight that she was talking about she talks about dopamine as a sort of pleasure pain seesaw and she says we're always our bodies are always trying to find the balance trying to reach homeostasis and the way she sees it is that there are these mischievous little gremlins which they pile on the opposite side to try and right the balance. So if you're getting pleasure from something, they hop on the opposite side, the pain side. But because they're a bit naughty, they always go a little bit too far before that seesaw rights itself. So you get a hit of what is on the other side of the seesaw before it comes back to level. And she said, the problem with that is that the more hits you get on one side, the more counter hits you get from the other side, and also that the longer it takes to get back to normal. And this is how we get into these addictive cycles. And we tend to need more and more just to feel normal. And she's talking about and you can probably get the idea from the the title of the book that we're just in this age of age of indulgence as she calls it and seeking too much from the dopamine side of the seesaw and it made me think of binge watching television she actually used this as an example you know a typical it's unfair to name Netflix you know anything applies but Netflix has become so ubiquitous hasn't it maybe was it one of the first platforms that dumped the box sets all in one go maybe well that's why it's so associated with binge watching TV but and I can remember it just made me think of and I think I've talked to you about this I can feel that it's an addictive cycle that you get into when you find it. It doesn't really apply to films, does it? But when it applies to these TV series that you can binge watch and you just have to watch the next installment and you can end up staying up late, which, you know, has the knock on effect of impacting your sleep. But I can remember saying to you, it feels 
uncomfortable. It doesn't, it's very, very quickly, it stops feeling pleasurable, but you can't seem to stop yourself doing it. And it made me think of the difference between that and the good old days when things would come out weekly, you know, when you were watching on normal terrestrial TV and you had to wait a whole week Mm -hmm. or even more for the next installment of your favorite TV program. And it was pleasurable in the painfulness of it, the, you know, the anticipation and the longing you had to watch that next installment because you were probably left on a bit of a cliffhanger. And it kind of feels good. So there's this whole, this mashing up of the pleasure and the pain. And and she was very much focusing on these hits of pleasure and the pain side of the seesaw as the, the payment, but less so of talking about it in the reverse. But it got me to thinking about how it ties into, and this is where it links into talking about the cold water exposure and actually harnessing how this works but from the other way round and using pain, but a pain, that's why I say quote unquote, because a pain that's not really a pain, it's not like a horrible pain like stubbing your toe, but a sort of controlled pain and like the pain of waiting for the next installment, there's some kind of thrill in it and getting the writing of the seesaw with these gremlins going down a bit too much on the other side. But instead of that being the painful side, it's the pleasurable side, of course. And I don't remember, Daisy, if I said this before or if I use this in another arena, but in one of the big dopamine episodes of Andrew Huberman's that I listened to, he talked about that being one of the challenges of how our dopamine cycle works for us because what many of us do, let's say I'm working on accomplishing a big task and I accomplish it. And instead of letting myself have that come down, Mm. I jump right back into the next big thing. And that we actually need that seesaw between. So that's really interesting. And I'm fascinated to learn what are those gremlins? What causes mm. them? Um, you know, when you go in deeper to like the brain structure and neuromodulators and things, what are those gremlins that jump on the other side? Because it seems like that's the next thing to figure out them. Yes, exactly. And I'm sure it works the other way, just like if you try and get too much pleasure and get into that addictive cycle I'm sure Mm -hmm. there are issues with that trying to do it the other way around I don't know maybe there's something about limiting I've naturally limited the amount of time I spend in the water so I don't know if that mitigates it to a degree I'm not sure I was talking to one of the swimmers down there the other day and he was saying that he gets less of a thrill that exhilaration and thrill from the cold water than he used to but that he almost felt like he was high on drugs the other day after he'd done a 40 minute swim so that sort of speaks to the fact that maybe you need more and more on the pain side to get the pleasure I don't know I haven't come to that I just seem to have found a really good reset balance with going in pretty well every day. I mean, I go down there every day. The only reason I don't go in is if the water's too rough, basically. But I still go down 
and experience a certain amount of cold, I suppose, just by going down there and drinking my coffee outdoors, but get all the other benefits that we've talked about, of course, about the early morning Mm -hmm. light and some exercise and things like that. But I do limit the time, naturally limit the time I spend in the water. I don't have a stopwatch or anything. I just get out when I feel like it, but it's usually only about 10 minutes. But I did find it very interesting that I have noticed a huge change by moving the time of day that I go. And I I didn't realize that would happen. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how much it ties into what he talks about, about your dopamine naturally being more present in the mornings. Mm -hmm. It's interesting too, just whenever I'm thinking about something that you and I talk about, I, I try and put it in maybe other areas of my life that I can relate to even more or easier examples for me. And I'm thinking about this kind of addictive thing of diminished returns Mm. on something after we've done it to a certain degree. So that part of, it reminds me that what he says about dopamine and what other people say as well is that it's the seeking of something that brings the dopamine. It's not so much just the accomplishment of it or the getting whatever it is. And so I go back to old food habits. I don't know what you have in the UK like this, but here you've probably heard of Thin Mint Girl Scout cookies. They're one of these things. Uh, Yes, well, I've heard of certainly Girl Scout cookies seem to be this ubiquitous, everyone goes nuts for them. Yes, and one of the favorites, actually people either love them or hate them, I think, but Thin Mints, and they're just little small flatbread cookies Mm. coated in chocolate that taste like mint and they're delicious. But when you eat one, at least my experiences, they taste really good. And there's that pleasure. When you eat 20, you're not getting that pleasure anymore. Mm. And it almost is disappointing, which leads you to want to eat the 21st and 22nd one, hoping that you're going to relive that spike of, you know, satisfaction or pleasure that you had in the first couple. And I think this makes a lot of sense now, just in general, as I listen to his podcast, and now you talking about this, that we really need the seesaw to happen. Mm. And when we have too much of the pleasure, it loses its effect. And that's depressing or disappointing. It's a letdown. Or if we have too much of the pain, obviously, we're stuck in that place anyway. So to me, a really fascinating way to be thinking about this. And the fact that you experience the results of that much differently doing your cold water swimming in the morning Mm -hmm. than when you used to go late in the afternoon, that really speaks to the power of this, that you know, hey, this guy really knows his stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Daisy has proven it. (laughs) But there's something isn't there about, this is where it taps into the addictive tendencies. I've spoken about it before, about eating that tub on tub of Haagen-Dazs ice cream with tears streaming down my face, but not being able to stop. It's like, well, you just said with the thin mint cookies, you know, the first one is amazing. And I can remember going getting that ice cream and I've spoken about it before. The anticipation actually was the really amazing bit. And as soon as that, after that first mouthful was in, it was downhill from there, but neither could I stop. And that's what I felt with 
binge watching television. I've been very aware, actually, of the moment when it stops being enjoyable. But I haven't been able to stop. So it's, it's trying to get in there before, isn't it, with that awareness and that knowledge and switching it off, teasing it out almost. It's this problem with, and I've spoken to you about this, going back to food again, but different food items that used to only be available at certain times of year. Mince pies, thankfully, are still only available at Christmas. However, they start selling them. I can't remember when they started appearing in the shops. Certainly, I think before Halloween. And it never used to be like that. They probably didn't start appearing really until the beginning of December. Well, hot cross buns only used to be available at Easter. Mm -hmm. They are now available all year round. You can always get a hot cross bun. That never used to be the case. So they used to be something that you look forward to, but could only get at a certain time of year. And this is, I mean, this is so much the case with all sorts of seasonal foods, you know, normal foods, just different fruits mm-hmm. and vegetables, but as well as this, especially these treats. And I think we've really lost something by well, we're not necessarily making them so available, but I mean, I suppose we've been demanding them to be available, but having this just always available supply of these things is, and it is the same, I think, with these box sets. Yes, we're demanding them and yes, we like consuming them, but I don't think it's doing us any favors at all. Mm-hmm. And actually removing a lot of the pleasure. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of that idea just going back to the Netflix or whatever viewing. I think for most of us, it started when we got the box sets of things. If you get the box set Mm -hmm. of Friends, Mm. you can watch episode after episode for months. And we went overboard with that. And now they made sense of that of, hmm, we should give them this available online so we can have them hooked all the time. Hadn't even thought about that before. Yes, that's very true. I remember I used to get, I always used to get the box set of that year's 24 for my birthday. And that was my binge watching thing. But yeah, like I said before, especially I guess when it comes to um, binge watching is that it has a practical knock-on effect because you often end up watching it late into the night, Mm -hmm. which impacts your sleep, which, but I do think it's interesting that you can have a real acute awareness that you're not actually really enjoying it, but you can't stop either. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I do that when I'm watching something and falling asleep, like I'm fighting it Mm. and that's not even comfortable. I'm not even enjoying it anymore, but I want to keep going. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm not quite sure what the answer is, where the intervention needs to come in to, you know, harnessing the pleasure side of it without it tipping over because once you're too far into it it's really difficult to stop yourself isn't it mm-hmm. so those damn little gremlins those damn little gremlins <laughs> so there you go that's just a bit of a rollover episode with some interesting things that we didn't have time for last time and one of the reasons actually was giving you a chance to get a word in edgeways which i hadn't the first time and i'm not sure i've done that too much this episode either but <laughs> Oh, it's a great topic and great to think about it. And while you were talking, it made me explore again. I used to do some cryotherapy. I remember you doing and that. And I did some lying in the bathtub on ice blocks mm. <laughs> and just thinking about 
some of those benefits and wanting to get those into my life again and how I might do that. So it's it's been a great topic for me that you've brought up now and got me thinking about some things. So thank you for that. And I hope everyone else finds some things in these episodes that they can apply and use in their lives. And welcome to the new year. Glad to be back. And we'll talk to you soon. Have a great week and a great year. <laughs>